Third time's a charm, eh? Welcome to Fringe with Benefits. I'm your host, Stacy. This is where I would insert some weirdness. I am, let's, let's look at some titles. First person, maybe only person, you let me know to not be able to complete a 21-day challenge, but to come back and complete the 40-day challenge, naked and afraid we're talking about, directly right after. Also, not to toot my own horn or anything, but I am the first and possibly only amputee to complete or even attempt the challenge, but I could be wrong. You guys let me know the stats on that one. So possibly I might be my own hero at this point. I come to you to scramble your brain on all things anomalous, peculiar, weird, and abnormal. Thanks for listening. Let's move on with the show. Let's talk business. Social medias are Fringe with Benefits Facebook page, Inward Survival's Facebook page, my Facebook fan page, my Twitter at Stacy Fringe. If you go follow it, I'll follow you back from my personal page. My Instagram is at golden underscore Valkyrie underscore. YouTube is at golden Valkyrification. Go follow it if you want. If not, no big deal. Inward Survival has a website, and there are ways to donate to the nonprofit as well as a blog, which I'm really sucking at get content, getting content up there because my life is so crazy. Share the show if you like it. Visit the show's homepage on Anchor and click Support the Show button. That's a way that you can like donate to the show on a regular basis. And thank you to everybody who subscribed. Thank you to everybody who's listening. Sorry, it's such a shit show. I don't even know. Um, Totally love you. Thank you. Uh, It's it's a lot of fun. So it's kind of cool that it's it's cool that less people listen because then I feel more free. Because man, like look at all these famous people. Nobody wants to be like in the spotlight. Everybody talking shit. Who wants that? So if you listen, you don't listen. No big deal because I'm pretty much doing this for me. If you listen on Apple iPods or Apple Podcasts, (laughs) go give me a rating and review and say something nice and give me five stars because like I do want to do well, you know, obviously, but there's, there's a comfort knowing, especially right now, knowing that not very many people are listening because I do tend to speak my mind. I have been told and known for not having much of a filter. I've literally had people say to me, that they wish that they could be as transparent as I am, but it has not brought anything but, well, no, I take that back. It's brought a wide array of opportunities my way. Let's just put it that way. Some of them may not be as desirable, but others, I think it's really saved my ass in more ways than one, just by being genuine and by being real with people. So like I said, go check me out on all my socials and if people engaged with me more there, maybe I would be more inclined to do more there. I am going to do a Q&A on my YouTube channel, so keep that um, keep that penciled in or like turn the notifications on if you go follow my YouTube channel. You really should because sometimes I put some pretty funny stuff up there. Here we are at the part of the show where I... I face and am accountable for shit from last week or shit that's going on right now. And basically wanted to say, sorry, I'm late again. This has been a really crazy season for me. And um, I think I'm having like Giardia or something. Some people were like, it's just like some crazy intestinal. Like it feels like the stomach flu. So I feel like hell. And the same exact thing happened to me just a few weeks back in case you guys don't remember. And so now I'm all paranoid that it's, 
that it's, you know, all kinds of things. I'm like, I've researched all kinds of different stuff that it could possibly be. And then I question everything that's in my pantry as well as in my fridge and everything I've eaten and everything that I'm going to eat. And it's just, it's an absolute nightmare. So I feel like total hell right now, but I'm, I am on the mend and I will try to figure it out and be good to myself. I don't know when I feel like this, all I keep thinking about is will I be able to run from the zombies or the bad guys in this condition? Do, what do I need to do to get myself into tip top shape just in case there's an emergency? I do not like being down and out. Another thing I'm going to talk about in the accountability segment is that I can't pretend that things are not absolutely crazy in the world. Like there's some serious censorship going on. Like the president was censored. If you step back and look at that, that's, that's some serious shit. And, and as well, like there's an inauguration that's supposed to be happening on the 20th. So everybody's like on the edge of their seat. What's going to happen? They have National Guard that are posting up in front of the Capitol building because we all know what happened at the Capitol the week before, which isn't good at all. So a lot of people are saying just, you know, stay home, uh, keep your nose clean, don't go to any events, just stay, just stay safe and be helpful to your neighbor, not hurtful. Be helpful, not hurtful. And that's basically all I wanted to say in my accountability segment. I'll keep trying to do these shows and because I really, really love it. It's been a lot of fun, even though I have a lot of things, other things going on and I'm trying to accomplish some other things and there's so many things to learn in this world and I feel like there's not enough time to learn all the things that I want to learn or to do all the things that I want to do in this short period of time that we may have on this earth. It's, it's kind of overwhelming sometimes, but it's, there's a lot of excitement that comes with that too. So... Since I like this so much, I'm going to keep doing it. Let's move into Stacy Socials and see what we got this week. Let's get into Stacy Socials real quick. We're going to talk about something that's quite a bit more serious than we usually do. First, I want to recognize somebody who passed away last week. I believe it was last week or the, the week before. And that person was Drew Osborne. He was a production assistant, maybe even like a senior production assistant at in um, Pongola, South Africa at Makuzi Falls Game Reserve in which um, my se- season two of Naked and Afraid XL filmed. He was a really great guy. He passed away very, very young. And I just wanted to put it out there that he was he was a bright light and a really, really dark situation for us. He wore these sunglasses, which it's kind of funny because if you're you basically have the best job on the planet, you get to travel all over the world filming documentary style wildlife footage and working on a set, which is basically in the wild filming people taking on an insane challenge and he always had these sunglasses on which you could see yourself in and he looked reminded me of Cartman from uh, South Park you know respect my authority that's that was basically Drew but a really really cute guy really kind really sweet very good to us out there and I just wanted to give him some recognition and send some love and some condolences to his friends and family because even though I, I barely knew him, he will be missed. He was 
really great guy. I would also like to talk about the attack. I'd like to talk about the attack in Virunga National Park. I'm referring to a New York Times article from January 11th. It says that at least six rangers have been ambushed and killed in the Virunga National Park in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Part of this wave of violence that has plagued Africa's oldest park and continues to endanger the home of around a third of the world's mountain gorillas was due to Mai Mai Fighters, which is an umbrella name for a loosely affiliated group of local militias who are battling for power and resources in eastern Congo. This park has been for a really long time the site of repeated attacks from these rebels and militia groups, along with, you know, lots of poachers and loggers. This has led to the killing of hundreds of rangers. This latest assault comes barely a year after the assailants killed 17 people, among them 12 rangers. The park's director, Emmanuel de Marode, was shot and injured in 2014, and tourists have been kidnapped during visits to the national park. Well, that's, that's definitely a place people probably don't want to go right now. This park was established in 1925, and it was Africa's first national park. Virunga National Park sits on an area of 3,000 square miles with stunning landscapes, thick forests, and unparalleled biodiversity. Some even say it's the most biodiverse place. I think it's probably one of very few. It's also home, of our, uh, home to our endangered mountain gorillas, and it is also considered a World Heritage Site. So this attack on the rangers took place where they were patrolling on foot around 7.30 a.m., and the rangers, they were in the central part of the reserve. The rangers were taken by surprise, leaving them with no opportunity to def defend themselves. These guys worked for the Congolese Institute for the Conservation of Nature. This is a government ag agency charged with safeguarding protected areas in Congo. There was one guy that survived, it looks like. And I wanted to call attention to this because even though we have a lot of stuff going on in our country right now, that there are still places in this in this world in which people that are trying to protect nature, trying to protect sacred sites, places where animals are the only place they have to go, and they're being taken down by people that have a very narrow worldview. It's a shame to see people that really love something and love something that we can all in unison love together to see them attacked and murdered that way. So every once in a while you'll get a story that is completely heartbreaking and I just wanted to pay some tribute to those park rangers that sacrificed their time especially in the harsh landscape of Africa. So now that I've all bummed you out let's move on to something else. This week's viral corner is brought to you by all kinds of crazy shit that's going on. We've got Long Dick McGee. Um, are you staring at my wife's chest videos? And what is with, like, look at the power of the internet, our way of communicating. And this is, so we have this viral phenomenon. Things just go all over the world in a matter of seconds. People are paying attention. And we're being able to watch the world as we never have before. Like, like, wow, man, like... Like Shaggy, wow, man, you know? Or, come on, man. <laughs> and then we've got, you know, ring doorbell videos of people doing and saying funny or wonderful things or even scary things. Confrontations, protests, citizen journalism. The, the information is endless. And it's, it's really no wonder that people spend so much time on their phones because there's so much information out there to consume. But... 
Well, one of our lessons is to create more than we consume, right, folks? We want to create more than we consume. So this week, Long Dick McGee, let's talk about that real quick. So this Denmark television station launches a children's show of this guy who has like this really long penis that can do things. His name is John Dillermond, and he has this extraordinary penis. Uh, Show notes below for all articles. So it can perform rescue operations, etch murals, hoist a flag, and even steal ice cream from the children, the article says. Danish equivalent of BBC, DR, has a new animated series aimed at four to eight-year-olds. Four to eight-year-olds, guys. This John Dillermond is like a claymation Everybody's talking about this, and that's why it's in Viral Corner, because you can't not talk about this right now. So it's this kid's show that's on during the daytime when all, you know, kids are usually plopped in front of the television. At least they've been since, you know, the 80s when I grew up. That's what raised me. That was the babysitter. This is the TV. Just kidding, Mom. So this guy, John Dillerman, or this cartoon character, has the world's longest penis, and he overcomes hardships and challenges with his record-breaking genitals. This has provoked debate amongst people. Some people say that it's a it's a message of body positivity, and some people say that this is a way of grooming children. It premiered on Saturday. This article was January 6th, so it had premiered just a few weeks ago. And people have condemned the idea of this man who can't control his penis. Well, actually, the, the character seems to actually be able to control his penis and save people people and things you know he's like a superhero with this extra long dong that and it's like sleeved with like a knitted um some kind of he was wearing like an outfit it looks like an old-timey men's um swimming apparel but it's got this really long sleeve in which it's pe- his penis can go and do things it's feisty so somebody says in this a, a danish author Anne lise marstrand jorgensen says is this really the message we want to send to children while we are in the middle of a huge hashtag me too wave end quote (laughs) oh i don't want to talk about me too this article is talking a lot about me too so it basically this person is saying um let's go into this clinical psychologist erla heinesen holstead she works for with families and children and says she believes the show's opponents may be overthinking things and that john dillerman talks to children and shares their way of thinking and kids do find genitals funny she said The show depicts this quote, the show depicts a man who is impulsive and not always in control, who makes mistakes like kids do, but crucially, Dillerman always makes it right. He takes responsibility for his actions. When a woman in the show tells him that he should keep his penis in his pants, for instance, he listens, which is nice. He is accountable. So is there, I haven't seen the show yet, is there a scene in which somebody has to tell him to keep his dick to himself? Because does that sound like a kid's show to you? I don't, I don't know. I guess that this um, the Danish public service broadcaster, DR, has a reputation for pushing boundaries, especially for children. There was also a children's scheduling. Uncle Raya, 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 uh, <laughs> Uncle Raya, a popular figure who curses, smokes pipe, and eschews baths. I don't know what that means. You guys are going to have to tell me what eschews baths means. Think Mr. Trumbull meets Father Jack. I have no idea what that means, guys. This article is not helping me at all. So I guess conservatives are bristling, this article says, in 2012 when he revealed a love of cross-dressing. Oh, I see. Okay, so this um, 
this little character liked to cross-dress. Well, so did Benny Hill, and so has every other comedian. And who else? Okay, let's, let's read this quote. What kinds of culture are we creating for our children if it's okay for them to see perfect bodies on Instagram, enhanced digitally or cosmetically, but not real bodies, she said. Well, it's a kid's show. For one, and I'm actually reading from the Guardian.com is the article, but you can see that in the show notes. The public broadcasting outfit that's airing this um, Ding Dong show is saying that it could have just easily made a program about a woman with no control over her vagina, and that the most important thing was that the children enjoyed Don John Dillerman. Uh, okay, so think about that. Some people are like, "This is horrid. This is gross." I, you know, I think it's kind of funny, and I've listened to other people talk about this in which they said that they think it's funny too, but totally not appropriate for children. And there's a level of accountability, like, of course we want to teach body positivity, and I'm not a prude. I was on um, international television completely naked, even though they blurred my bits, but I still had to live naked and dirty and freaking collect firewood and everything but ass naked in front of everybody. So I know what that's like. I don't have a problem with nudity. I have a problem with making it like a, a focal point for a children's television program that there's this man who hangs out with little kids who's got a wild penis that, you know, rescues things and does things. He's like this superhero with this extra long penis. It's weird, guys. It, you, you know, you hear them talk about it and they say that we don't want to sexualize um, our genitalia, but they are sexualized. You know what I mean? Like, even though, even though people don't want that, they, are, they actually are in our culture. It, that's just a really, really um, sensitive subject. So I wanted to get your input on that. I see the very, not very many people seem to be re- reacting on it on my social media, at least. But I've seen a lot of dispute over it. Let's go over to the New York Post, in which this week a naked subway shover dies in a melee on New York City tracks, right? There's, an, there's a video of this guy. Naked dude rushes some guy on the platform and tackles him onto the tracks. And there's a drop. You know, if you guys have ever been in a train station, there's a freaking drop. And you can get electrocuted by some of the tracks. So let's look at what this article has to say. A naked maniac shoved a man off the Harlem subway platform Saturday, but then also jumped down and zapped himself to death on the third rail during a crazed on-the-track scuffle with a good Samaritan. Luckily, the person that was tackled, he was not hurt and he was fine. There was somebody who jumped down to help, and if you watch the video, the person who's holding the camera isn't very steady, so you don't really see the naked guy do his thing. You don't really see much after that because the the camera's moving so much, which I don't blame him. I'm sure there's some adrenaline happening right there. The naked guy throws the guy down on the tracks, and then he jumps down and starts uh, starts to attack. I guess, and began pummeling, it says, it began pummeling the would-be rescuer. So it looks like he pushed the guy down there. Somebody jumped down to try to help this guy. And then the naked guy jumps down and tries to freaking fight the guy that's trying to help the guy that he just threw down there. Fucking intense, right? The reason why I want to talk about this is because, you know, even though we see this stuff on the news or we hear about it on podcasts or whatever, keep your back to the wall, you know, make sure people aren't sneaking up behind you, especially some kind of naked maniac, Okay, so what really, really struck me is that this happens all the time. A station employee says that it happens more than you would think. So we all know. And then there's images you guys may want to see, may not want to see. 
I'm kind of one of those people that like doesn't want to look but can't help but look, you know? You know, so situational awareness, being aware of your surroundings, making sure people aren't running up on you. You don't want to be caught slipping, guys. I'm telling you what. So it says, this article says, at least four people have been shoved onto the tracks since November. Miraculously all survived. Well, thank goodness. So everybody, just watch your backs. Watch your backs. Always. It doesn't mean, like, we always say that this can't happen to us, but man, you can be attacked at any moment. I just, you know, I don't want to see that happen to people. Three days ago from this recording, there was another New York Post article that came out that really gave me a lot of hope for our future. And it was a good one because I'm not sure of what the name of the woman that was recently recognized for hunting down her accused daughter's kidnappers and murderers down in Mexico, but she's been being talked about. I'm going to see if I can find that. I think her name is Rodriguez is the last name. But there's this article by Paula Frolic, and it's called Mexico's Female Vigilantes Take the Lead in Fighting Drug Cartels. And pictured is an armed woman who goes by the name of La Guerra and who says she's a member of the female-led self-defense group patrols the edge of her town. Um, This was January 14th, 2021. So they are actively walking the streets down there. So the Michoacan area of Mexico has gotten so bad that a band of female vigilantes are taking it upon themselves to protect their friends and family. This is badass. So this state, Michoacan, is the world's largest supplier of avocados and limes, and it's been recently overrun by the violent Jalisco drug cartel that hail from the neighboring state. And so these women are fighting back, and this is according to the original journal or the original article from the Associated Press. These women are carrying assault rifles and post roadblocks, often while pregnant or carrying small children with them. It's not the first time this has happened, world. We've had to fight with kids on our back before. And this is to combat the growing homicide levels, which have been skyrocketing since 2013. It's bad, and it was especially bad this entire last year of 2020. If you guys have been following what's been going on down there, it's just atrocious. So the majority of these women have lost family members. They got nothing else to lose. For example, Blanco Nava, she told AP her son, Freddy Barrios, a 29-year-old line picker, was kidnapped. So they, they kidnap these people and they hold them for ransom. And then these people, these families are paying these people to try to get their loved ones back. There's actually loan companies or banks that are loaning people especially just for this purpose, which is insane. He, I guess this lady's son, Freddy, was kidnapped and she never heard from him since. And then another woman claimed that her 14-year-old daughter was kidnapped and hasn't been seen since. She says, we are going to defend those we have left, the children we have left, with our lives. We women are tired of seeing our children, our families disappear. They take our sons, they take our daughters, our relatives, our husbands. So they are fighting back. She says that um, a woman told AP, as soon as they see a man who can carry a gun, they take him away. They disappear. We don't know if they have them as recruits or if they've already killed them. So these people are sick of sick of the cartel killing all their family. They're, they've had enough and they're going to fight back. And I think that that is a, a really great message to have uh, for us this week in our viral corner. I think that that's what needs to be going viral more so than what was the other thing I brought up? The videos of Are You Staring at My Wife's Chest, which is really funny, by the way. There's a a prank video going around where this guy's walking around a college campus with his, uh, I don't know, pretend wife or whatever. And she's got these huge boobs. 
And so, of course, the guy looks because they're literally like triple E, huge, bigger than her head, each one. And he's like, excuse me, are you staring at my wife's chest? And they're like, no, no, no. Some people are like, yeah, sorry, accidentally. <laughs> but there's, you can't help but, but notice. I'd much rather he hear about vigilantes that are protecting their communities versus um, some prankster that's got all the time on his hands to, to, <laughs> to make people embarrassed. That's good too. I don't know. The world's a wacky, wonderful place, ain't it? Our weekly topic is going to be super, super brief and super, super weird. This has been a subject that's always fascinated me is um, the Clinton body bag number. It's called all different kinds of things. The Clinton hit list, the Clinton kills, the Clinton body count. According to Wikipedia, the Clinton body count is a debunked conspiracy theory asserting that former U.S. President Bill Clinton and his wife Hillary Clinton have assassinated 50 or more of their associates. Many parts of it have been advanced by Newsmax publisher Christopher Reddy, among others. That's not when I heard about it, though. Such accusations have been around since at least the 1990s, when a pseudo-documentary film called The Clinton Chronicles was produced by Larry Nichols and promoted by Reverend Jerry Falwell, which he's, he doesn't have a great reputation. This is where they accused Bill Clinton of multiple crimes, including murder. This conspiracy theory has been debunked by Lakeland Ledger, the Chicago Tribune, Snopes, and others, who point to detailed death records, the unusually large circle of associates that a president is likely to have. That's very, very true. And the facts that many of the people listed have been misidentified or were still alive. Others had known no link to the Clintons. So then we've got a list of people here. We've got C. Victor Razor, to the second, Mary Mohane, Vincent W. Foster, Seth Rich, and Jeffrey Epstein. And then we got their references that will be linked below. Let's move on to the Snopes article, one of the articles that is debunking this whole idea that um, the Clintons are affiliated with any, any of these deaths. Let's read through this real quick. Clinton body bags, it says. By Snopes staff. This was published January 24th, 1998. Basically like when the internet came out, guys. It says, Decades old political rumor claims Bill Clinton quietly did away with several dozen people who possessed incriminating evidence about him. Okay, first, this, the, how I heard of this was the Boys on the Tracks case in Arkansas in which these two boys walked in on these officers that were taking a drug drop and they were they were crooked cops and that these kids walked in on them doing something shady and so they felt that they had the need to execute these they were just young boys um and that there were ties of corruption to the clintons and this is where i first caught wind of this entire situation so let's let's hear what snopes has to say so they're saying the claim is that Bill Clinton has quietly done away with several dozen people who possessed incriminating evidence about him and that they say that it's false. It goes on to say that multiple versions of lengthy lists of deaths associated with Bill Clinton have been circulating online for about 20 years now, including the latest iteration titled The List of Clinton Associates Who Allegedly Died Mysteriously. Check it out. Okay, for one, 
Um, if, if this was published tw- January 24th, 1998, and it claims that there have been multiple versions circulating online for about 20 years now, um 1998 so 1978 well the internet was only been around for a couple of years so i don't know what they're referring to so let's let's go on with the article it says according to those lists close to 50 colleagues advisors and citizens who were about to testify against the clintons died in suspect circumstances with the unstated implication being that bill clinton or his henchmen were behind each untimely demise We shouldn't have to tell anyone not to believe this claptrap, but we will anyway. In a frenzied media climate where the chief executive couldn't boff a White House intern without the whole world finding out every niggling detail of each encounter and demanding his removal from office, are we seriously to believe the same man had been having double handfuls of detractors and former friends murdered with impunity? Don't be swayed by the number of names listed on screeds like this. Any public figure is bound to have much wider circle of acquaintance than an ordinary citizen would. Moreover, the acquaintanceship is often one-sided. Though many of the people enumerated on this list might properly claim to have known Clinton, he wouldn't know or remember having met a great number of them. Body count lists are not new phenomenon. Lists documenting all allegedly suspicious deaths of persons connected with the assassination of JFK have been circulating for decades, and the same techniques used to create and spread the JFK list have been employed in the Clinton version. Okay, so we got some bullet points here. So they're comparing the JFK list with the Clinton version and that these are the what compares those two. It says, listing every dead person with even the most tenuous of connections to your subject saying playing word games, making sure every death is presented as mysterious, making sure every inconsistency or unexplained detail you can dredge up is offered as evidence of a conspiracy, no matter how insignificant or pointless. It says if the data doesn't fit your conclusion, ignore it. And most important, don't let facts and details stand in your way. Okay, and that's, let's see. It says multiple versions of this body count have been circulating online for two decades. Okay. We already went over that. So how where'd the two decades come from if this was published in 1998? It says new victim names are routinely added and old ones taking off, forming an endless variety of permutations. At this point, there is no one official list. It says, where did the, all this craziness start? It says in 1994, le- a letter to congressional leaders, former Representative William Dannemeyer listed 24 people who had some connection to Clinton who had died under other than a natural circumstance, and called for hearings. Dannemeyer's list of suspicious deaths was largely taken from one compiled by Linda Thompson, an Indianapolis lawyer who in 1993 quit her year-old general practice to run her American Justice Federation, a for-profit group that promotes pro-gun causes and various conspiracy theories through a shortwave radio program, a computer bulletin board, and sales of its newsletter and videos. Her list, called the Clinton Body Count, Coincidence or the Kiss of Death, then contained the names of 34 people she believed had died suspiciously who had ties to the Clinton family. She admitted she had no direct evidence, and she did say that the deaths were probably caused by people trying to control the president, but refused to say who they were. She says that her allegations of murder seemed groundless only because the mainstream media hadn't done enough digging. And this article says, but they had, if not before she put her list together, at least afterwards. Anyone who continues to state the mainstream media has given these claims short shrift is being disingenuous. 
Since 1994, various respected news outlets have been confronted with the versions of the Clinton body count, and they run their own investigations of a few claims and found nothing to substantiate what they looked into. It says that um, these body count lists and many specious claims contained therein continue to circulate in cyberspace and beyond. It gives an example of a 2007 version of the Clinton body count, and it was headed with this entry. James McDougall, a Clinton's convicted Whitewater partner, died in an apparent heart attack while in solitary confinement. He was a key witness in Ken Starr's investigation. Hmm. Interesting, right? So kind of similar to this Epstein thing in which there was this viral phenomenon in which Epstein didn't kill himself, right? So I guess this guy McDougall had been placed in a solitary as punishment for failing to provide a urine sample for a drug test and that he had um on the day of his death and while still in his regular cell he had access to heart medications he had complained of dizziness and while being processed for isolation he threw up however when he was in isolation he did not ask for his medicines and appeared to the guards to be alert and had no visible signs of distress right up until his death okay interesting and this list really continues on and on. If you want to get, if you want to get into it, they give a reasoning for each person on this list. And I'm not going to do all that, but that is one example of what could have happened. And I think that that's, that's pretty good reporting, but I have not read into this. And it looks like they've had plenty of time to add to this list. I wanted to move on to something else I thought was interesting. It's a Squarespace um, it, like it's like a PDF, and it's 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 an interesting 14-page document. It's called the Clinton's Blood Trail. This list is up to 90 suspicious deaths of individuals close to Bill Clinton, 81 of them while he was president. It says it, the following is a list of a number of persons who have died in suspicious circumstances who had connection to the Clintons or the Clintons' dealings. The length and breadth of this list is disconcerting. It is beyond credibility that very many of these cases are coincidences forward any errors or inconsistencies as the list has been compiled from multiple sources so interesting that there's been so many people that have put these lists together and have done investigations on this and the closer the people get the more often they seem to just disappear right there's always some inkling of truth to every urban legend correct Okay, so then it goes into like the names and the dates and the causes and the explanations of these people's deaths. So let's go through some of them. Ron Brown's lawyer. He was murdered in 1996 by a drive-by shooting the day after Ron Brown, his client's plane crashed. Here's Ron Brown, happened 1996, same month. The day the day before his attorney was killed. Uh, Ron Brown was killed in a plane crash. Admiral Borda, suit 1996, suicide, allegedly shot himself in his chest with a handgun. He was the chief of naval operations in Vietnam, who received combat ribbons for some activities while there. Kathy Ferguson, 1994, suicide. 1994, attorney, attorney for Dan Lassiter, a close friend of Bill Clinton, who just so happened to be indicted on drug charges and sent to prison. Ronald Rogers, 1994, plane crash. He was a dentist for the Clintons, killed on the way to an interview with a reporter to reveal info. Friday, Herschel, plane blew up, 1994. Ed Wiley, 1993, suicide, allegedly shot himself in the head in Virginia. Luther Parks, 1993, murdered, 
head of the security team for the Clintons in Little Rock, gunned down in his car outside of Little Rock, home broken into before his death, dossier on Clinton taken. Stanley Heard, 1993. Sorry, that's my alarm. Tell me it's noon. I don't know how to turn it off. Hold on. Uh, Stanley Heard, 1993 plane crash. He was a chair of the Chiropractic Health Care Advisory Commission for the Clinton, who had treated Clinton's mother, stepfather, and brother, killed when the airplane crashed after reporting. Fire on board. Steve Dixon, 1993 plane crash. John Walker, no date, accident investigator who fell from the balcony of an apartment he was also a getaway for vince foster who's the following fellow who passed away in 1993 due to suicide there was no bullet found with his body but he was that uh, was said that he had died by suicide by a bullet and there was no bullet found paul wilcher 1993 murdered he was a washington attorney investigating federal corruption john wilson 1993 suicide allegedly hung himself reportedly a part of whitewater and was ready to talk Sergeant B. Haney, 1993, helicopter crash. All four died in the crash near the woods near Quantico, Virginia. Sergeant Tim Sable had escorted Clinton on a flight to Roosevelt. Major William Barkley, a videotape made by firemen at the crash site. Seized by feds, Captain Scott Reynolds. Five aviators, 1993, plane crash. All five died in the crash when waved off from landing on the carrier Roosevelt. All five had escorted Clinton during his visit to Roosevelt several weeks earlier. Coincidence, right? General Robertson, 1993, helicopter crash. He was deputy commander, chief of operations, chief of intel. Colonel Densberger, Colonel Kelly Roosevelt, Special Rhodes Roosevelt. They, they were both, they were all tied to Clinton. Steve Willis, 1993, a Waco assault, killed in assault on Davidson compound. Interesting, the connection to Waco. Jim Woollett, 1992, a skiing accident. Paula Grober, 1992, a car accident. She was a speech interpreter for death for Bill Clinton, killed in a car accident with no witnesses. Traveled intensively with Clinton from 1978 until death. Paul Tully, 1992, murdered. Victor Ki- Victor Riser Razor, 1992, plane crash. Monty Razor, 1992 plane crash. That was Victor's son, killed in the same plane crash. And then the passengers on that plane crash were killed while they were flying with them for their fishing trip. James Bunch, no date, suicide. Similar to Vince Foster, Texan with a black book of influential Texans and Arkansans who visited prostitutes. A rumor persists of potential notes on Bill Clinton. Stanley Huggins, murdered, no date. Florence Martin, no date, murdered accountant, subcontracted to CIA in the Barry Seal case. Not familiar with that. Sue Coleman, no date, suicide, had an affair with Clinton while attorney general. Gunshot wound to the back of the head. No autopsy and she was pregnant. You think she's going to shoot herself in the back of the head? Give me a break. Danny Casolaro, 1991, suicide. He was a reporter investigating Whitewater. Kevin Coney, 1988 to 1999, murdered. And then there's six other people that were involved with that. Kevin Ives, 1987. Uh, this is the, the t- teens on the tracks. They saw too much of one of their drops. They saw a drop and they were found on the train tracks. And it looked like that the trains had ran them over. And um, it looked like an accidental death or a suicide where they made it look like that. But they were actually executed and laid on the tracks. And it goes on. We've got 59 deaths in plane crash. 
59 deaths in plane crashes, 13 murders, 10 suicides, four in the Waco assault, and three were accidents. It says, and this is a quote from this document that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in the show notes below. If you work with Clinton and deal with any of his scandals, or if you attempt to investigate them or accidentally come across them, you will likely die in a plane crash, murder, or suicide. Other deaths that can be laid at the Clinton administration's feet or are very suspicious include an amount to a reign of death and terror. So it's pretty interesting. And then it goes on to cryptically say this is, and these are the only the ones we know about. So that's quite a few. There's several lists, obviously. Uh, I'm not going to read off every single person that passed away to whatever cause that may be related to this, but there, there's too many coincidences for it to, to not be an issue. And why is it, you know, kind of mainstream and funny to say, oh, I don't want to be suicided by the Clintons. You're telling me that there's no, no truth in that at all whatsoever and that their connections to certain things are not heinous or that maybe some of these people that have been working with them for a long time finally was like, what the hell are you guys doing? There's a ton of rumors out there, guys. And I'm, you know, I could get into trouble for even talking about this. People are not even really allowed to talk about this. But considering I live in America, I feel like there's an element of um, free speech due to our our U.S. Constitution. So I'm just going to go ahead and risk it and just put it out there. Be like, what the hell? What is with this this list of people that have died being connected to them. You can't just pawn it off as if it's like, you know, there's so many people that are networked with him that the six degrees of separation thing or whatever. I'm not, I'm not convinced that that's what it is. So I just wanted to plant that little seed in everybody's mind and just kind of put it out there and be like, what the hell? What the hell is going on? What's going on with Jeffrey Epstein? What's going on with Ghislaine Maxwell? How come we're not hearing anything about that? How come nobody's talking about it? How come people aren't in jail? That's what I want to know. Because if this were you or me, you'd know we, we would be going down in a heartbeat. We'd be locked up for the rest of our lives. I think it's a pretty important, important thing to talk about. And I think it's really, really weird and fringy and totally what this podcast is all about. So why not talk about the Clinton deaths? Why not? So that's what I got for you in this week's weekly topic. Oh, by the way, I'm not suicidal. To reach the mailbag, you can email me at fringewithbenefits at protonmail.com. Send me your crazy stories, your scary stories, your ghost stories, your cryptid stories, if you have any. I know you have some stories because everybody gets around a campfire and tells their scary stories of that one time when you saw something that if you tell anybody about it, they're going to think you're crazy. Fringe with benefits at protonmail.com. And since we didn't get any mail this week, we're just going to skip on right into our guest spot, the shout out segment in which I I talk about cool shit that I ran into. And this week, it's I want to talk about Hammer Lane Legends. It's a new podcast by the creator of The Professionals, Tony Merkel, and his dad, actually. And I hadn't have had a chance to actually go over and listen to it, but I did just recently, and it was really good. And 
it's if you guys like good old boy stories and nutso stories about adventures and actually a very underappreciated occupation in this country, which is America's truckers and the ones that make sure that we get everything we need, all the commodities. They are the movers and the haulers. And when we're on the road, we need to be respectful and give them space. It's not an easy job to do, and they're taking a lot of risk doing what they do. So definitely shout out to America's Truckers. And then I want to, um, I want you guys to go, all go over to laurazara.com. To I will uh, link it in the show notes. Go check out her website. She's fantastic. She's a Naked and Afraid alumni, expert survivalist, nomad, adventurer, Her social media is awesome. She's just a great person to follow. And I went ahead and linked the about page. And if you go to the homepage, laurazara.com, you can see a copy of her book, A Modern Guide to Knife Making. And we all know how much I love knives and to to watch one of my uh, fellow survivalists. In fact, she's on a whole nother level than I am. I guess she's just, she's a badass. And I'm fangirling because I haven't met her yet, but I wanted to give her a shout out and tell everybody about her book if you're interested in getting into knife making, which I totally am, you know, throw down on some steel with uh, Kayla and Laura someday. So go check her out. I want to make sure that I shout out the people that really can make a difference in this world and people that are good role models who are doing great things in the world and being a really good example. So let's move into the second to last little segment of this little show. This week on Inward Survival's School of Magic, we're going to talk about something that nobody wants to talk about, and that's smartphone addiction. I read this article that is basically, it's like an overview of all the latest studies on cell phone addiction and physiological and psychological psychological health. Mostly the studies are done with adolescents, but we know that this can pretty much come go across the board to adults. It's how it's affecting humans in general. So since people are spending most of their time like on social media, doing emails, academic research, looking stuff up, playing games, mostly everybody has a phone. We can't really not have a phone nowadays. It's it's pretty much just ingrained into our system and how things work. And so it's kind of like food and overeating. It's you have to pretty much you have to moderate your usage, right? So smartphone addiction is now this kind of this phenomenon, but I notice that people don't really like to own up to it and there are even certain things out there that you can buy to lock up your device or lock up your family's device so you guys can't get to it over for, you know, for amount of time. This is what's so concerning is that these physical effects, psychological effects, such as having a a sleep deficiency, not being able to sleep, uh, more anxiety, stress, depression, and these are all associated with internet internet abuse and mobile phone usage. The big question in this research is how do we know that we are addicted to our cell phones? When, how do we know that we're unable to cut back? 
how are we how are we um, getting a metric on how much we're using it, right? And we use them as solutions to boredom or anxiety or even depression. It eases the pain sometimes. It's a very good distraction, just like a lot of things that we use to stifle our emotions. They're saying like how you know you're addicted is when you feel discomfort from removing the device. So I would like for everybody to do a small experiment and put their device somewhere for an extended amount of time. Shoot, even go plug it into the wall. Experiment with yourself and kind of like how you feel when you don't have it with you or if you're not using it constantly. And taking good breaks. You know, most of us that have jobs or make sure that we have things to keep us busy, we're definitely not going to be staring at our phones. But it's just something that we need to be conscientious of because there is such a payoff to use it. So this says that excessive use of smartphone paired with negative attitude and feelings of anxiety and dependency on gadgets may increase the risk of anxiety and depression even further. And this study found that students seem to be addicted to their mobile phones. Nevertheless, it was concluded that excessive smartphone use had a negative psychological effect. So it says that mobile phone usage during night hours was common among youngsters, which is totally true, and even younger people. And it was also shown that staying up all night was a thing that was happening. There was an investigation that whether anxiety and depression independently contributed to smartphone addiction. It's showing all these sample sizes and it's pretty interesting experimental design. They revealed that with depression scores higher was a more powerful indicator compared to anxiety scores. So they were investigating whether anxiety and depression independently contributed to smartphone addiction, which I, I could imagine that it would. They've also found an intensive increase in cell phone usage among kids and the symptoms of depression with suicide risk factors and suicide rate. It is negatively correlated with academic performance. And they did a case study on business students in Bangladesh and found that increased impatience and daily life disturbance negatively affected the academic performance of students. There are studies that show that internet addiction is very much like drug addiction, but it doesn't involve a substance, and that the effects of insomnia may lead to further depression. And so it seems to be like this cycle of depression, and then you feed your depression, and then you get more depressed, and that just sounds horrible to me. So cell phone usage is associated to the sleep deficit, depression, anxiety, and stress. And then when you get the insomnia, it causes even more depression. So that's really good. So according to this article, it says, according to the latest studies, it's come to know that there are two schools of thoughts. Some researchers believe that there is a positive association between cell phone addiction and the mental health of adolescents, and some believe that there is a negative or indirect relation in them. It is confirmed that mental health and physical health is associated with cell phone addiction, but we cannot say it with 100% accuracy that mobile phone is the only cause of poor mental and physiological health issues in adolescents. Absolutely. One opinion emphasizes that cell phone addiction and psychological health is has a direct relation. Cell phone usage badly affects mental health of adolescents, and they look anxious, depressed, and angry, or sometimes commit suicide. The suicidal rate is increasing in this era. Some studies also show a positive relation of cell phone addiction and physiological health. And the other school of thought reveals an indirect relation between cell phone usage and 
psychological health. They say adolescents use cell phones at night, which leads to insomnia, and insomnia ultimately results in depression, anxiety, and further depression. Cell phone addiction has no direct relation to mental health. After reviewing these results, it's concluded that there is a relationship between cell phone addiction and adolescents' mental or physical health, whether they have a direct or indirect relation. We cannot neglect the relation and its adverse effects on adolescents. It is suggested that more studies should be done. They're also not they're also not talking about any of the studies of electromagnetic frequencies on the the cellular makeup of a biological system like we are. So there's there's many many reasons to see how it could be harmful to sit with a device in your hand for or near your body for an extended period of time, especially with the very little we know. Um, I know that we've done some studies on some mice, which they're, they're mammals. So anything that they're a great model to use uh, for human beings, there has been shown to be tumor growth. I don't have anything cited right now, but maybe if you guys want me to cite that there's been tumor growth due to electromagnetic frequencies of wireless devices, I could probably find something to, to show what the results of that are. My point is is that phones are kind of like a magic. That is, it's a, you know, drugs, good food, sleep, anything that makes you feel good, there's a payoff. It's a type of magic that can kind of put us into a trance. And it definitely has addictive characteristics. It's definitely something we need to keep an eye on. And I don't know about you, but if I'm using it for a really long period of time, I'll start to feel physically unwell and not right. And it puts us into this time-wasting trance. And I want, because I'm I, I'm experiencing it, I want to talk about it. And I know that there are other people that are experiencing it as well. And you have to think about that we're using these devices. We are pretty much teaching artificial intelligence for free. We have been recruited through all these social media apps to interact in which we are actually teaching our future AI right now. So our, our attention is what's being competed for. It's what the commodity is. So our attention is very valuable. And I want everybody to know that their time is very valuable. And to take care of your bodies and to take care of your minds. Don't let them cast spells on you. Okay? Okay. Your Stoic Thought of the Week is by English writer and philosopher Aldous Huxley, Aldeus Leonard Huxley. He said, Experience is not what happens to you. It is what you do with what happens to you. Have a great week, folks. Thanks for stopping by. And thanks for listening to my weird rants every week.